The Gulf Injustice Podcast, the official podcast of Detained in Dubai with Rada Sterling. Welcome to the Gulf Injustice Podcast. I'm Rada Sterling, and today we're going to be speaking with Peter Clark, the American man who was detained in Dubai for hashish smoked legally in Nevada before ever having traveled. <laughs> So Peter, thanks for joining us today. You've been in the most incredible situation of having been arrested for marijuana that you smoked outside of the UAE. You smoked it in Nevada where it's legal before yeah. traveling to the UAE. So why was it that you were uh, visiting Dubai? So I was going to Dubai to do two things. One was just to see Dubai because I'm always hearing about how amazing it is. And then the other was that I wanted to look at recording studios in Dubai with the notion that maybe I could build a really nice recording studio and get Western musicians to come in and record there, right? Kind of a destination. Did you manage to see any recording studios? During <laughs> no. no. So, so Basically, the f first night that you were there, you stayed in the hotel and uh, you, you became quite ill and you had to attend hospital. You were taken away right. in an ambulance. Right. Uh, which hospital was it in Dubai? Al-Zahra, C-A-H-R-A, yeah. Okay. That was the one the, uh, the ambulance driver said was the best in Dubai. And I said, let's go to the best one. Right. So uh, when you got there, you were administered with quite a lot of um, uh, medicines and, and all sorts of treatments that you received there overnight during your stay. How long were you in hospital? So I got there uh, late Saturday afternoon and I left um, Wednesday afternoon. So about four days. Okay. And um, during that time, they apparently took a urine test and, and tested that for drugs. At what did you understand what was going on there? At what point did they facilitate uh, this test? It was the so on Tuesday, so the day before I was supposed to leave, and I felt pretty good. Um, but I remember thinking it's odd because up till then they'd done multiple drug or blood tests from my finger, from my arm, you know, probably five, six times a day. And then suddenly they're asking me for a urine test. And at the time I hadn't stood up by myself yet. I had a catheter they had to remove. And the whole thing just seemed overblown, I guess. Like a, it was like a production. There were all these doctors standing around watching me. And I thought, wow, this is weird, but I didn't, you know, I figured it was just, you know, let's just do one for whatever reason. I mean, I really wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking, yes. <laughs> Until you're in a hospital, right? You know. Exactly. And you were still quite ill and, and uh, <laughs> dazed and confused, I suppose, at that point. So oh, yeah, I hadn't eaten or had anything to drink exactly. since I got there because I couldn't, uh, my stomach was just so uh, upset, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, at, at what point was it that, uh, that you realized that this was a drug test and it was for the authorities, for the police? I didn't realize it was a drug test until I got a lawyer. Uh, what happened was about an hour after I took the test or I gave the sample, a Dubai soldier came into my room, just came right on in, sat down and said he was just here to see how I was. And I didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, this is Dubai. Maybe this is just what happens. And he stayed for about an hour. 
chatting away, you know, asking me, you know, how I am, what do I think of Dubai? What do I think of the hospital? And then he left. But then the next morning at 6.30 a.m., two armed Dubai police officers came in and said they were going to escort me back to my hotel. Right. And I just thought, okay, maybe that's just how it goes if you're in the hospital. VIP Dubai. Well, I didn't have my clothes. And so I was worried like, oh man, what's going to happen? I don't have shoes or a shirt. And I thought, oh, Dubai police, they, that's, they take care of me. They're going to take me back to my hotel. And I really didn't realize they weren't going to until five o'clock that day. So, you know, from 6.30 until 5 p.m. That's when they put me in the first detention center. So that you were in the car thinking that you were being taken to the hotel and you were diverted yes. to the police station. And then suddenly I was at a police station and this guy said, uh, you know, wait here in this room. And I did for hours. And then I waited in another room for maybe an hour. And then at five o'clock, he took me, you know, through this long corridor. And that's when I thought, uh oh, this isn't the exit. Like it just went deeper and deeper and there were no lights. And I thought, what is going on? And then I knew that something was up. But even then, the person at the detention cell, the first one at uh, Al Bashra, I forget the name of the police station, uh, he said, Oh, you just have to stay here while we go over some things. And then I'm going to take you. So this new guy said, I'm going to take you to your hotel at about 11 o'clock at night. I thought, What? And then they put me in this detention cell by myself. There's nobody else there. And then at uh, 2.30 in the morning, um, I was, I don't know, woken up and they put handcuffs on me. Right. And these two, these two men, not in uniform, just wearing t-shirts and jeans, put me in an unmarked car and drove really fast to what I learned was the anti-narcotics division of the Dubai police. But I didn't even know that for the first 24 hours. It wasn't until I asked another cellmate, I don't know what you want to call it, you know, what is this place? And he said, oh, you're in, you know, this is for, you know, drug crimes. And I thought, oh, oh. And I had a little piece of paper that they gave me when they took my passport. Right. And it's all in Arabic, so I didn't know what it said. But this guy could read it. He said, oh, yeah, it says uh, you are, I think he said, you're a suspicious person. What it's on. I thought, hmm. But even then, I didn't know, I didn't tie it all together the urine test and where I was until they gave me another urine test. But it wasn't real. I, I was like, okay, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I've been in the hospital. Uh, and for that, I was in a hotel room. And then, uh, you know, what, two weeks later, uh, when I finally got an attorney, that that's what the charge was or what's going to be I still don't know if I was arrested I, I don't know what's happened well that's incredible when you think about it you're in detention for mm -hmm. uh, for quite 72 hours 72 hours 72 hours amazing mm -hmm. and during that time they didn't tell you why you were being held they didn't ask oh. you questions about the, nothing they they just nope. held you without without yep. mentioning anything did they contact your embassy on your behalf nope, no. nope. and I, I even said oh can I call my the embassy and they laughed. I remember they laughed. And I thought, huh, I guess the movies are wrong. I just assumed, oh, the US Embassy, one call. And 
here come the Marines. And, uh, but they, nobody got, it wasn't like I didn't get to call them. I mean, a lot of people said, I want to call, you know, this embassy, that embassy, and it just didn't happen. And they don't speak English. That's another thing I hadn't really appreciated is that they just, they don't speak it. They don't really understand it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was an odd situation it, and everyone else was getting out. See, no one else stayed for more than 24 hours. So I got three whole, I don't know, batches of drug offenders yeah. um, over the 72 hours. You know, and the lights are on the whole time and there's no food and there's no water. And so, yeah. I mean, that's quite incredible as well. No food, no water. And you no like your med medication as well. The hospital had said you needed to right. take you know, various... Uh, was it was yeah. it antibiotics and, and various other oh, things? There were uh, eight medicines I was supposed to take. And they told the uh, police officers, the doctor who discharged me, who's like, he was like a main guy because he seemed, you know, he had that presence, like he had all the nurses. And, and he was telling them, you know, he has to take these, these. And they, I remember looking and thinking, yeah, 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 that, that definitely didn't happen. Wow. I mean, that's very dangerous because anything could have happened if you if you hadn't taken that medication. You could have ended up back in hospital. Yeah, you know, you could have ended up with an infection or something more life threatening. Well, you know, I kept thinking what medicines were. I kept asking myself, what was I prescribed? I knew there was an antibiotic, but, you know, I wasn't eating anyway. And, you know, after a while, you just you lose track of time. That's the one thing that's just you. I mean, when they let me out, I thought, I've been in here for a week. Have I been in here for two days? You're not really sure. Because, no, you know, there's no clock. No one's telling you, oh, it's three. So when, they let, let, when, when they let you free, um, they still hadn't told you why you had been held, but they confiscated your passport. And what did they tell you at that point? Just wait for our call? Yep. Uh, I remember... Uh, the guy said, um, you know, you have to go back to your original hotel and we'll call you, you know, in a few days and you can come pick up your passport. I thought, great. So I went back to my original hotel. They called me on uh, the following Wednesday. So I got out on a Saturday. They called me Wednesday morning. They said, come down, get your passport. And I had to go down there three times before someone would even meet me. Like I kept going in a cab. And I'd call and they'd say, oh, yeah, come back. So I'd go all the way back to the hotel, come back. And then the third time, they booked me, right? That's when they asked me my name, where I was from, my date of birth, where I was born, my mother's maiden name. They fingerprinted me. They took all the mug shots, right? You know, all that stuff. And then, and it was the same guy. Uh, then he said, you can stay wherever you want. Because I'd asked, I said, do I have to stay at that hotel because it's really expensive? He said, I don't care where you stay because you're not going anywhere. And then it was another three weeks, four weeks before I heard from them again. And was it and that to use a hotel? Because without your passport, it's quite difficult to book into a hotel for most people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. When you have no passport and no proof that you have a passport, like I didn't even have my passport number. Your number, yeah. So I... I went to two hotels and they said, no, no, you're not staying here. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna have to go back to that first one. And it's like $300 a night. Yeah. And then finally one of them, I guess the guy was just 
nice or, and I begged by the third one, I was like, please, please. I, you know what? I might've even said something like, you have to let me in. Dubai PD said, I have to stay here. So I'm not leaving until you give me a room. Okay. That's where I am now. So the insistence paid off, or, or the begging. Let's it took an hour. It took an hour. I remember getting there and thinking, "Oh God, he's gonna like all these like you know." I could tell his boss was talking to him. And I thought, "Oh my God, am I gonna have to like live on the subway or something?" <laughs> I didn't know. And then finally, they said, "You know, okay." Uh, and what happened was eventually, I got a letter from the U.S. consulate saying, "You know, this is." This guy is and here's his passport number and that was a couple of days later and so so a few weeks later so you've been staying there you're wondering when you might get your passport back you were visiting the police station when they asked you to visit mm -hmm. and eventually you you did hire some legal representation who found out that you had been detained on this drugs charge i mean were you mm -hmm. shocked to hear that i wasn't shocked because in the detention cell, everyone was there for marijuana. And I found out that if you were caught with something more like cocaine or I don't know, I don't know heroin, you went to a whole nother place or maybe another cell. So everyone in there was there for either hash or some kind of marijuana flower. And some of them were even there for growing it. Uh, it seemed like a, a wide range of people, but I will say most people were Dubai residents. Right. Okay. So you were you were a rare visitor, and again, it is yes. rare because most people who enter who do have hashish in their system are not going to be tested, and it was only incidentally right. because you went to hospital, and it's those right. sorts of situations that can get you in trouble. Some people are, are blood tested or urine tested because someone's accused them of being drunk, for example, which is uh, also illegal, and then during that process they might find additional substances that they're also going to get charged for and it's not the first time that we've seen someone who has been charged with uh, consuming hashish from outside of the country but it's just surprising that they would continue um, to uphold that regulation yes it's one thing if you've consumed it in the UAE but they have to understand that people are legally consuming it outside of the the country and potentially up to two months before traveling and then can be arrested so I mean that's obviously something they need to work on but technically under the law people can face several years in prison for these kind of crimes and the issue here and I mean you started researching I know that so when when you realize what the charge was you started looking all over the internet and finding out about all of these different cases now that must have I, concerned you I really can't believe I didn't do that before I came here it just never dawned on me that possession meant in your bloodstream it just it just seems unreal even now that you could be arrested and held for weeks months for something you did legally like you said you know a month two months before you even came here so I mean, it's the same also with prescription medicines. We've seen people arrested for codeine, for, you know, back pain. I knew about I knew about that. I didn't even bring vitamins or aspirin. I was so careful. You're with quite my, careful, yes. My toiletries, I was like, oh, vitamin D, throw it out. Oh, aspirin, throw it out. 
Yeah. Just thinking yeah, anything that might give you problems at immigration or might attract attention or delay you even and have them test the substances. So you were very careful when going to Dubai. You'd done everything right. But you would never have imagined that you could get arrested for something like that, something that yeah. you know, is, is completely legal where you've come from. But I mean, you know, you, you've been there two months now, is it? Uh, it'll be two months in one week. So, Two yeah. And it's been a very stressful time. Obviously, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know at any point they can arrest you. Uh, your legal advisors were concerned that every time you're uh, attending the police station to give a blood sample or a COVID test or something like this, that at that point they could arrest you. And there's also the risk that they might have an informant say something uh, about you. That well, they you, did. Might, you might be a drug dealer or something like what happened to Andy Neal. Oh, there was an informant in the uh, detention cell. After the first day, this guy came in and he, his English was really good. And he knew everybody in the cell. They were like, hey. And I thought, huh. And, oh, he was wearing like a little suit. And I thought, this guy looks odd. And he came in the middle of the day. Everyone else had come in at night. And then this guy just comes wandering in the cell. And after about 20 minutes, I said, hey, you're an informant, aren't you? You're just like one of those guys on Law and Order. And he got mad. He was really mad. And then 20 minutes later, they let him out because he was yelling at the guards. And I just have a feeling he said something like, I don't want to be here, this guy, something. And then the next day, the next day, uh, I saw him in the hall and I said, hey, it's an informant. And he got really mad and left. And you don't just leave that area i mean he was supposed to be processed so you know it's just i don't know i mean it, that is a huge problem the the informants in dubai and they can be incentivized by having their own cases reduced or this oh, sure. they can be oh, yeah. incentivized with money and it, it really is a problem for expats we've seen a lot of people jailed for you know some some sort of informant witness testimony that's later proven to be false hey even now i what I might have told that guy because at first I was I, don't, I mean I definitely talked to him for like 10-15 minutes about why he was in there and he was inviting me to his villa so that I could see a camel and he said oh I live on Palm Jumeirah and I thought oh okay well I'll be out of here soon yeah I'll go check out your camel <laughs> and I just didn't take it seriously really when I was in that cell I thought there's something wrong. They've got the wrong guy. I'm here because of something they found. I thought maybe they found something in my hotel room. And I was like, what, 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 what did I bring? Did I put something in my bag? Was it, was it a vape pen? Was it, was it cigarettes? What, what, what was it? And it was nothing. I mean, it was you know, the urine test. So and that's incredible. And uh, you were facing, you know, potentially having to go through a lengthy trial as well, even if you're ultimately found innocent. And at the moment, that can take four to six months or even longer. So staying in a staying in a Dubai hotel, an expensive one uh, for a lengthy period of time where, you know, you don't know anyone, you're a stranger. It's a very stressful situation. If you are employed, you know, people are losing jobs over this. There is it can have a oh, impact. Oh, every long, I mean, I lost my apartment. Uh, I mean, I broke the lease, but I couldn't afford to pay that and live here. Uh, my pet birds died probably a week or two after I got out of the detention cell. Um, 
and my girlfriend left me. So all the things that can happen, happened. And oh yeah, if I had a job, I mean, that would have been gone. So. Absolutely. And also, it's not only that, you know, when you have to campaign for your freedom, there's, you know, publicity that you've obviously had, you know, there's been a great amount of interest in your case, because it is so unusual. I mean, most people don't want their names splattered around uh, the, the international media saying jailed in Dubai. I mean, that's... I my name, so... <laughs> but you... I get out of here, first thing I'm doing. <laughs> but you, you do have to, you know, you do have to advocate for yourself, because no one else is. Oh, yeah. The embassy is not, the police aren't, your lawyer does things behind the scenes, but it's it's very difficult to feel confident in that legal process without that lobbying, I think. Um, it's just but, not like you think it's going to be if you're an American, right? In America, your lawyer is your, you know, your bodyguard almost, right? They go with you to every interaction with the police. They tell you every day, this is what's happening. This is who I talk to. This is when you have to appear. And here it's just... You know, every now and then I get a call from someone at the police station and they say, do you want your passport? And I'll always say, yes, I want my passport. Come down right now. And so I go down there and then it just gets worse every time. I mean, that's happened three times now. They've said, come get your passport. I go down there. And I mean, last time they did this like eyeball scan, it took forever. So yes, well, they'll certainly have a record of you and your iris. Oh, yeah. Oh, they told ooh, ooh, Yeah, they told me wherever you go, we know where you are. Yes. Uh, and we can listen to you if we feel like we need to or want to. And I thought, well, it's, it's very It's very interesting, the UAE surveillance um, there, actually. There is an incredible amount of public surveillance that's in hotel lobby, oh, yeah. at malls, restaurants, everywhere you go, even many places where you're sitting outside and you think you would have privacy. It's absolutely not the case. And most people only have privacy in their own home. And, uh, you know, that that's a huge concern because that information can be totally misused, misinterpreted, and people could be charged for you know, a government eavesdropping into a conversation. And if someone right. says something offensive, uh, disrespectful about the government or about the UAE, they could be arrested for that. So it has a huge right. potential to cause a lot of problems for tourists and, uh, and expats. Um, but anyway, a couple, week, weeks on, you, you got a call basically telling you that you were going to be deported tomorrow. Well, that was, uh, well, the first time was two weeks ago. Exactly. No, no, three weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, someone called and said, come down to the police station. And that's what I did. And they did all this stuff. That was when they did the eyeball scan. And he said, oh, you're going to be deported in two to three days. And third day would have been April 1st. Of course, April 1st came and went. Nothing. And then last week, it happened again. And it was this, oh, and they said, go get a COVID test. And I thought, oh, all right, here we go. COVID test. I come back. Nope, got the COVID test. Never heard from them. I even called them. You know, I guess Ramadan started and so the test expired. Right. So you, you've had a test today in preparation for a flight that you've got booked for tomorrow. You're uh, second test. happens in the second test. Yes. Yes. Today I was told by my lawyer, take a test now like and this was at 10 in the morning and then tomorrow they're going to escort you to 
the gate that has your flight to the U.S. So, and in our earlier communications, you almost don't believe that it's going to go. Oh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. It's 50-50. Everything in Dubai is 50-50, which just means I have no idea. I might wake up tomorrow and get a call and maybe it's the police, maybe it's my lawyer. And they might say, oh yeah, no, not gonna happen. Yeah. I just, I don't trust anything. <laughs> I mean, until I'm on that plane, yeah, until I'm on the plane to New York City, I, I just, you know. And, and how was the uh, US Embassy with their assistance for you? Did they, did they offer any advice nope. nothing? I mean, they did get me like, well, not a copy of my passport, but proof that I have one. Okay. And a list of attorneys, uh, only one of which was in Dubai, and they weren't able to help me. We, That's we, why I called you. Did, you. did you actually expect a, a lot of help from the U.S. Embassy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought, honestly, when I got out and I got to the hotel, and I contacted them. I thought, I'm gonna be out of here 48 hours. They're gonna make one call and say, this is an outrage. This is an American citizen. You get, what are you talking about? Nope. And they told me, you know, to their credit, they said, yeah, we can't do anything for you. Sorry. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, and it's, but you would expect them to do a lot more when you have a case where someone's clearly innocent, where they haven't, you know, committed some serious criminal offence in a country. You expect them to step up and speak to their diplomatic counterparts and explain this particular unique case and ask for intervention at that point. Well, you got them to respond better than I ever have. Uh, whatever you said to them, suddenly they're emailing me for the first time ever with all these forms and questions and they asked me to come to the consulate in Dubai and gave me an emergency meeting and I thought oh I'm so important but no, yeah. nothing happened. <laughs> I mean I, I don't think anything happened and they keep emailing me and saying hey what's going on and I think what do you mean what's going on? how do you not uh, you should tell me what's going on but they don't know so no. your, your perception of Dubai before you went there and all of these influencers going out there to, you know, do marketing and promotion and, you know. What are they doing? What, what do you Stop. think of this now? What's your opinion? I just wouldn't come. I just, I don't know why anybody would come here. Go to Miami. I mean, I guess if you're European, you can't go to Miami. So this is like Miami in Europe or if you're, I don't know. It's like Miami, only a lot worse. Um, that's, that's what I think of every day I go outside. I think, oh, it's hotter and it's more boring and there's a lot less to do unless you like malls a lot. Uh, you know, there's no, I don't know, maybe people go to the beach, but anyway, I mean, if this can happen to me, I don't even want to know what could happen to somebody who's young and poor. <laughs> <laughs> and you know has a job and a family and you know this is this hasn't been cheap I just want I just want everyone to know that this has cost me about 50 grand American yeah easy I mean I'm counting the flight and, you know the first few days I was here just dealing with this problem yeah and when you think about it I mean all of the you know the 
other nationalities, Filipino workers, the Indians, the Pakistanis, oh. they get into legal trouble. And, and they've just come out here for a job, basically, to send money back home to their families. When they get it, get into legal trouble, there's just nothing they can do. They just surrender. They're terrified of the police here. They're, I mean, anytime I talk to a, a cab driver or a waiter or someone at the front desk, and I, you know, I might ask, oh, so Dubai police. And they're like, oh, oh, I hope I never talk to anyone from the Dubai police department. And I think, yeah, me, me too. I'm with you. I don't blame you. And it's very, you know, it's a, it's a police state. That's what it is. The police run the show. And if they want you, they're going to get you. And there are so many other laws I like mean, this, like, like ripping somebody off is illegal. Holding hands with somebody is illegal. Kissing someone is illegal. Calling someone a bad name. Is it, I mean, you can get arrested and put in jail for months for any of those things. If you swear on WhatsApp, which I could not believe, but it's true. If you, say something, if you say something like, you know, F off to somebody and they send that to Dubai police, you're going to get picked up. Absolutely. Yeah. Period. I mean, so I, I can't imagine that everyone who comes here is aware of every one of these laws. But you know what? I never see anybody holding hands. I never see anybody kissing in public. So maybe people are better educated. I just had no idea. I didn't know anybody who'd been here. I just went because I thought, oh, Dubai, it's cool. Uh, I can fly there without quarantining. I mean, at the same token, you were there during this whole um, Ukrainians on the balcony naked, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happened to them? Do, does anybody know? Are they still here? I'm guessing they're still here, even though I keep hearing they're murdered. Most of them are gone, but the organizers still there in the prison. But um, yeah. I mean, have you seen the other American cases of? We've had several cybercrime ones. We've had a lot of people detained there for debt and all sorts of different cases. I think, yeah, you're right. People are only aware of a very small amount of the laws there and most of them violate them all the time consistently simply because that's what it looks like is okay over there. And that's mm -hmm. how people have run into trouble with the, the drinking laws or, you know. Oh yeah, public drunkenness, that's the other big one. So if you're just a little bit tipsy and the cops don't like you, you're arrested. Yeah. Just if you're making, it's they are making a spectacle of yourself. But, you know, I mean, if you're coming out of a nightclub, you've probably had some drinks or if you come out of a hotel late at night, I don't know, it's scary. I've never been scared in a country before. Never like this. I mean, I don't like leaving my hotel because I know they know where I am. Every time I get on the Metro, I think, ugh, they know where I'm going. They know I'm going to, you know, the Mall of the Emirates today. They know what time I got on. They know what time I got off. They know every shop I went into. Because you can see, I mean, there are so many cameras. Every 20 feet, I would say. Every 20 feet, there's a camera. Every elevator, every escalator, every shop. I mean, they're just all over. And it's, yeah, it's just not cool. <laughs> I just, so I tend to go and... No, I try and wear sunglasses or something, but I don't know. So your advice now would be uh, go to Miami if you're in America and perhaps go to Ibiza if you're in Europe. Anywhere. I, I really don't know enough about European vacation spots. 
with beaches. I feel like Spain has good ones. Spain, Italy, Greece, Cyprus. There you go. Yeah, go there. I don't know why you'd come here. I really don't. It is cheap. I will say that. Everything is really inexpensive compared to, well, most developed nations I've been to. So I guess that's a big lure. And it was definitely cheap to fly here. It was like $800 round trip, which is like crazy cheap from uh, Los Angeles. So yeah, long distance. the rooms aren't that much. I mean, for, you know, where I'm staying it would be double in somewhere like, you know, Las Vegas or Miami. So okay. I guess that's a big lure. Um, yeah. The, the maybe prostitutes. <laughs> everywhere here oh my god yeah every, a lot of i mean every hotel bar I mean, every every night isn't it? it it's just you know on the one hand holding hands in public is wrong and on the other hand you know you, you've got all of these regulations surrounding personal attire dress you know oh. people have been arrested for wearing an offensive t-shirt and yet you have prostitutes in the hotel lobbies by the pools in the bars everywhere you go what do you and think it's very that? accepted. It's very accepted. I, I've asked more than one hotel employee, hey, so what's going on with all the hookers? And they say, oh, it's an accepted part of Dubai nightlife. And I think, okay. I mean, on Easter Sunday, that weekend, <laughs> I was just, I was blown away. Just, they're so obvious. Yeah. I mean, they're not trying to hide it and they stand out. I mean, most women here look very conservative and they wear dark clothes and all that. And then these, I mean- Obvious. They look like they, they, look like they do in Vegas, only, only more so. I, I, you know, I feel bad. I take that back. I feel bad for ripping on Las Vegas. Uh, it's just, it's like a movie. It's like a bad movie. And you know, they wear these really short mini skirts and these really high heels. None of them are over the age of 23. I mean, they look like they're in high school and they're always with the oldest, fattest, baldest, grossest. I mean, it's just, you know what's going on. And sometimes there's two or three of them with a guy, right? And they sit outside and they smoke shisha and just get drink after drink after drink after drink for hours. Uh, I mean, that, that's quite amazing, isn't it? And it must be quite a significant business, I believe, for the UAE authorities. It has to be coming from them. It's not, it's clearly not a privately operated business. It's, it has to be ordained uh, by the state or they simply wouldn't allow it. So well, it's, it's old rich guys. It's old rich guys. You know, these guys are in their 70s. I mean, I'm not talking about guys in their 50s and 60s. I'm talking about old grandpa looking guys with three 20 year olds who are obviously not from the UAE. I mean, it's a real problem in the UAE that hasn't even properly been uncovered or investigated yet. It's the human trafficking. And with a prostitution industry, as you've seen it, and we've had Israeli tourists go home and say, oh my God, this is the first time we've been able to travel to the Middle East. So now we've seen Dubai and all we have to say is there are prostitutes everywhere. It's a party place. And the problem with this is that we have a huge problem of, of uh, human trafficking 
especially through the Emirate of Ras Al Khaimah where they have the ports there. And that's been a problem for about 10 years now. And there's a lot of abuse going on that needs to be investigated at this point. I think, uh, you know, it's totally state controlled and operated prostitution ring, but also this can put people at risk because it is a crime. So if someone reports you to the police for engaging in prostitution, you'll mm -hmm. also be arrested for- Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. Which is such a contradiction. How can they uh, allow the prostitutes or, you know, even encourage them to be prevalent throughout the bars, but then arrest someone if they're reported for... I, I honestly think it's because it's an easy excuse, right? So let's say you do something like that, a man does something like that, and, you know, maybe Dubai police want to talk to this person anyway wow now they have a ready-made excuse and i'm sure the women who are involved are telling the police like hey i was with this guy and he admitted that he brought a little cocaine in and then it's like oh good here's you know 500 dirham thanks you know show me all your whatsapp messages with him the, the prostitutes are certainly encouraged to uh, report any kind of uh, drug-related incidences or anything like that. So that well, everyone is. Absolutely. Everyone is. Yeah. yeah. That, that, uh, that I found out in the detention cell when all the guys in there said, don't ever tell anybody anything about any drugs, even if you're just you know joking around or asking, oh, hey, where would I get X, Y, Z if I wanted to? If you ask somebody that, they're going to go straight to the police and say, this guy ask me where to buy xyz you know give me my hundred dirham and then yeah. guess what you will be arrested i mean guaranteed i mean they've set up some major sting operations just just on that you know just having a casual conversation and suddenly that'll be reported to the police they'll set up a major sting operation where they will uh, try to you know sell you drugs or mm -hmm. you know try to lure you into that basically set you up and a few people have been arrested uh, because of that. It's just, you know, it's really astonishing. The police love drug crime and they don't care whether you're guilty or innocent. It's because, you know, they get financial uh, rewards for successful drug prosecutions, arrests, and they, they certainly get a lot of kudos and uh, promotion within their employment. So there is absolutely an incentive to set foreigners up to have them arrested for drug related crime that they haven't even committed. And they'll go to great lengths to fabricate and create manufacture evidence against foreigners. So I oh, mean, they went through my whole WhatsApp. I mean, they got my WhatsApp info and they asked me about every single contact in my WhatsApp list. I have no idea how they got that. I mean, they couldn't have gotten it from my phone, but they asked me so many questions about people, you know, first name, last name, how do you know this person, I think. Uh, and, and who, who are you talking about? This person on your WhatsApp. And it's like, isn't that incredible? Okay, well, um, and so you just have to answer the questions. So were, were these friends of yours back in America that they're asking mm -hmm. you about? So they, mm -hmm. they just went through everything and they were trying to oh, yeah. perhaps right. you were associated to someone else in Dubai and they wanted to see mm -hmm. who the connections locally might be. Mm -hmm. And apparently it's a very common thing because again, some of the other prisoners told me that they were there because they were on their friend's WhatsApp list and their friend had been brought in for possession. And so now they're in there for nothing other than being on somebody's WhatsApp contact list. And that was at least five guys.
that I you know, that I talked to that were there just because they were on a list and they didn't seem to think it was even a big deal. So, well, I, don't, I mean, we, we had Darren Crawford. She was arrested because she'd arranged to go on a date with a guy that she'd just recently met. He was arrested for drugs and therefore she just there got go. looped up. Oh, on yeah. Him. There you go. Yeah. yeah that doesn't surprise me at this point. Yeah. Uh, Andy Neal, again, he'd met someone once at some sort of military event, he's a former military guy, and, um, and apparently they had his number in their WhatsApp and that's how he got yeah. set up as well. He had nothing to do with them, he's just a family man with a uh -huh. dog training, you know, centre and this kind of thing. And it's just incredible that that can lead to, you know, I mean, Darren Crawford, she was very lucky to be there a short time because, you know, there was a lot of media focus on that case. Andy Neal, a whole year in prison just because someone had you on their WhatsApp. It's insane. Right. Yeah, well, it's definitely a law. I mean, I've looked it all up and it's on the books along with all the other weird... And it's really concerning because when you think about that, if you have contacts on your WhatsApp, you can imagine mm -hmm. that their contacts and their contacts and it becomes a bigger circle and you can easily just really get caught up in that sort of broad stroke style of arrest. Well, and it's supposed to be encrypted. So how did they get it? How did, I don't know. I really don't, I don't know if they like took a picture of my face and that somehow opened it, but I deleted all my contacts except for you and one other person. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, well, let's hope that you get on that uh, that flight tomorrow. I can't wait to see you back in <laughs> back in America. Oh, you really think it's going to happen? All right, let's hope it happens. Yeah, I hope it does. I'm and, not expecting it. But. And when you get back, you'll have to set up again, I suppose, since you've let your property go. Uh, you know, I'll figure that out as soon as I land in JFK Airport. Absolutely. Well, fingers crossed, and we'll speak to you once you get back in America. Thank you very All much. All right. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Gulf Injustice podcast. I'm Ryder Sterling, and I'm very happy to report that Peter has safely left the UAE and is home in America. Thank you for listening to the Gulf Injustice podcast.